Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile and In Good Companies, a podcast from Cadence Bank. I'm Simone Rochefort, senior video producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Brianna Wu, executive director at Rebellion Pack, and Christina Warren, senior cloud advocate at Microsoft. Welcome to the pod. Before we start, I just want to say you were posting your Duolingo streak. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. I'm just like, holy moly, Simone. Like, that is impressive. I am I am really impressed that you were taking that much time to learn another language. Thank you. I was so proud of it. And then people posted their replies being like, I got a great uh, Duolingo wrapped as well. Here's my streak. And it's like 320 like, days. But it's actually good. I'm actually, it is super inspiring to see people with streaks that long and it makes it feel closer for me as well because i i want that one year streak uh this is actually a good button for the top of the show so last week i, we I, talked- I, I, was, I was gonna say give us yeah. give us some context on this because i can't go on twitter right now so please explain <laughs> yes <laughs> so last week on the show we talked about spotify wrapped and how much we wished that uh apple music would just copy their homework and eat their lunch And that hasn't happened. But what did happen, very excitingly for us Duolingo users, is that Duolingo did (laughs) copy Spotify's homework (laughs) to the best possible effect. So Duolingo is a language learning app. You log in and you basically do little lessons um, that are it. It is one of the best uses of gamified learning that I have ever encountered in my life. I got back on it in spring after a hefty absence to learn Russian, and I now have a 194 days streak. <laughs> Yay. Wow. Um, but they launched this feature. Um, I believe it's called Duolingo Year in Review. I'll, I'll pull it up uh, right now so I can see it. 20, my 2021 report. Um, and it's not, you know, as glitzy and glamorous as Spotify's wrapped, but it does show you like, here is your streak. Here's how many words you learned this year. Here's how you stack up compared to all the other learners of your language. Like, are you in the top 2%? Are you in the top whatever percent? Um, and it, it was really, really nice and really exciting to see. So I, I fully approve of this. Uh, it was my second best holiday of the year so far after Spotify Wrapped Day. That's awesome. That's, That's awesome. really cool. Yeah, you know, I I come from Mississippi, so I'm still trying to grasp English. I'm doing my best. But any day now, it's <laughs> that's why we're here every week, Brianna, <laughs> <laughs> to give you a chance to practice with native speakers. <laughs> um, no, truly. Even with my 194 freaking days of Russian, I was <laughs> out last night with some friends and. Uh, I was just trying to remember one phrase off the top of my head, which is like, I speak a little Russian. And it turned into just sand when it came out of my mouth. And I think that truly shows, like, I love Duolingo, but the big weakness it has is that you are not being asked to speak and stay in a foreign language for an amount of time. Like, you're always going back and forth translating that in your mind. And I think for me what really like what really made French stick in my head is that I wasn't, you know, hearing a French phrase and translating it into English and then speaking back to it. When I learned French, I was just surrounded by it. There, there's no translation. And that's what it's like when you speak a second language. You're not translating it. You just know it. 
And um, so I'm excited to, I guess, deepen my Russian. But I do love Duolingo. I am going to keep doing it. I am going to get that 365 streak. I'm going to get to the top of the Diamond League. Time to join the Russian mob, and then you can just practice <laughs> Truly, all you it want, is globally you know? one of the worst times to be learning Russian, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's fun. Oh. Anyway, let's get into today's topics. Our first story is one that everyone will love. Oh. Ubisoft is bringing NFTs to Ghost Recon Breakpoint in a beta that will begin this Thursday, December 9th. Uh, The NFTs that Ubisoft is releasing are all cosmetic items, which will be available for players on the PC version of Ghost Recon Breakpoint only. So that's the one like played through Ubisoft Connect, their special service. And Ubisoft is also setting up another platform called Ubisoft Courts to manage these NFT assets. These NFT assets, which Ubisoft is calling digits. The first asset available uh, on the 9th will be an in-game gun, followed by a helmet on December 12th and enhanced pants. Enhanced pants on December 15th. (laughs) The marketing copy says that these cosmetics will allow players to complete their missions in style. And ironically, they are incredibly basic and hideously ugly. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Each digit will have its own unique serial number. And if that digit is then resold, all the owners will be in a viewable registry as having owned the item. So you can see, like, the example, I guess, in the Arsenica piece that Kyle Orlin published was, oh, I have the same pants that Ninja first bought, which is, you know, a a blown up example. But, you know, you can see what other players of the game owned your enhanced pants. Uh, the digits can be sold on Rarible or Object.com. Those are the only two third-party vendors that Ubisoft is working with. And to qualify, players will have to have reached level 5 in the game, be at least 18 years old, and live in a select number of eligible countries. Uh, Ubisoft has tried to greenwash this um the ecological impact of this, uh, they're storing digits data on the Tezos blockchain, uh, which is a proof of stake blockchain, uh, which consumes less energy than like a proof of, uh, oh my God, I forgot what it is, but like the blockchains that Ethereum and Bitcoin deal with. Uh, Ubisoft has usefully said that Tezos uses the same energy as streaming 30 seconds of video in a transaction. Um, I like having the the marker the barometer there i i don't quite know enough information to process it but right as paltry as these offerings these three little clothing items are this is a big moment because this is the first time that a triple a publisher has like fully leapt into the nft pool uh, we'd seen rumblings of it before where andrew wilson the ceo of ea he said quote unquote collectible digital content is going to play a meaningful part in our future, but it's still too early to figure out how that's going to work, which instills everyone with confidence. And then uh, in a similar timeline, Epic CEO Tim Sweeney said that Epic is avoiding NFTs for now, uh, but they don't have restrictions on blockchain games in the Epic store. And meanwhile, Steam fully banned crypto-related games on the platform. I think the only other developer that's done something similar but not quite like this because it's not an in-game asset is the creators of dead by daylight who sold an nft of pinhead um which isn't usable in the game it's just like a separately existing art object but anyway the ubisoft model 
no matter what Andrew Wilson says about how we don't know how it's going to work in the future, uh, is an example of how it could work in the future. Although Kyle Orland points out in his Ars Technica piece that I referenced earlier, collectible digital content is already a part of gaming and there are already right. ways of deploying it. So yes, first up, I guess, what are your your uh, all's, y'all's thoughts on Ubisoft's move here? I mean, okay, on the one hand, I actually do feel like if there would be a way for NFTs to make sense, as much as this pains me to say it, this is probably the way that it probably could. I think that if you had something that was actionable and usable in a gaming world, or whatever the case may be, I actually feel like that that might be something that's having value because the rest of it right now is is money laundering, um, you know, like covering up, you know, like speculative, like, you know, like investing or, mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. Um, we haven't seen anything else where I feel like I, I do feel like the Tarantino thing is interesting. I thought that that was kind of a, a potentially interesting use case. And there have been some other examples that are trying to tie things to real world objects that are sort of interesting. But by the most part, I haven't seen anything that makes sense. This I could see makes sense. But to Kyle's point, we already have a way and have for many years for people to pre-order and get special, you know, like exclusive content that they can that only they can have. Like that's been a thing for a really long time. What could be interesting here would be like if you could truly transfer the ownership of someone else and would they be able to use it in their game, right? Like that could maybe be interesting. I don't know how that would work, but um it it feels like I feel like there's something in this is is against you know is is like boo you know web three stuff as as i am just because i you know i'm (laughs) I'm an old now apparently and 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 i and i hate progress and it's not even that i'm I'm against it i guess as like skeptical as i am for that stuff i do feel like if nfts were going to work gaming is the place where it could actually have a you could actually find a minimum viable product i just don't know it's the similar question that always comes up blockchain which is why am I not just using a database? And there are some good examples in some cases why you wouldn't want to use a database and why blockchain could be better. I'm not sure in this particular case why you wouldn't just, you know, issue um, a, something from from a traditional database and, and wouldn't just be able to issue, you know, limited edition stuff the way that they've been doing it. Yeah, uh, 100%. I agree with everything you just said there. And, you know, anyone that's played EVE Online, you know, which has probably the most uh, complex real-world economy of any, you know, long-term video game uh, that exists, you know, all these systems exist just fine in EVE Online as it exists today. So, um yeah, this is this is a longer a longer ramp. I just I want to put this in perspective. And I want to just take y'all through the history of games a little bit. You know, when you go back and you play Atari games, generally speaking, they aren't good. They don't hold up. They're not fun to replay. It's because we didn't know very much about game design back then. When you get to the NES era, some of the games are good, but they're not as good as if you go just a little bit more forward to the Super Nintendo, which is an age where... You know, we started to get the Super Metroids and the Legends of Zelda and, you know, these games that are true, timeless classics. You can pick them up today. They're as much fun today as the day they, they came out. And the reason those games are fun is because they were thinking about one thing, putting the player first, game design being as good as game design can possibly be. And, and focusing on that. 
and you, you move through PlayStation, you know, the the first PlayStation and the second PlayStation, where we're kind of trying to figure out 3D graphics. And, you know, it's kind of janky, but you can see it's refining mechanics. And then you get to the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360, and we started this trend of DLC and microtransactions. And I feel like something has really happened to game design where companies like Ubisoft, it's gotten more and more expensive to make these games and they've got to recoup that investment. So they're constantly looking for new ways to get that uh, money back. You know, and it comes with the season pass, it comes with outfits, it comes with all this BS Right. that when you really get down to it, it's taking you yet another step away from good game design. And just let's be really clear here. There's nothing inherent in NFTs that's putting the player first and doing something that's a better gameplay experience. No. This is only another revenue stream. I, Christina and Simone, y- y'all are both gamers. I've racked my brain trying to think of any use case for this that could lead to better game design. And I'm like, speedrunning? No, you can't truly verify speedrun like client side. Uh, right. That doesn't make sense. Uh, items, you know, like, I guess you could do NFTs and let people sell their games to each other more freely that we buy digitally and create a true used market. They're never going to do that because it's going to cut into their revenue. You, yeah, you right. brought and, up actually a really yeah. good point um, that Orland brings up in his piece as well, mm-hmm. which is that there's a lot of elements of this that run counter to the inherent philosophy that NFTs are are being sold with, you know, are, are being pitched with essentially, which is we are decentralizing. Mm-hmm. We are making this thing that anyone can have a stake of ownership in. And like with Board Ape Yacht Club, for example, uh, the like NFT online community where you can buy an ape, a digital ape for an exorbitant <laughs> amount of money, you get to do whatever you want with that. And I just saw a cartoon last week that somebody made a like a animated short about uh, their character and they can do whatever they want with that because they own the rights to that character. But with this situation, I mean, Ubisoft is a huge global corporation. They're retaining the rights to these enhanced pants. <laughs> um, you have right. to you can only live in certain countries to qualify. And it's not a long list. Um, you have to be 18 years old. Um, and it, it's all like still very much within it's underneath the Ubisoft corporate umbrella, um, which philosophically seems counter to what everyone who is very excited about NFTs in a genuine way, I, I believe, mm-hmm. kind of wants. Um, I obviously still re- retain a lot of skepticism about about their role in culture and about how genuine certain people involved in it are about decentralizing things rather than making money. But I do believe that there are people out there who 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 believe in this philosophy. And that's great. Um, This seems like a very already, already at the very beginning of this whole endeavor, a diluted, corporatified version of that. And I mean, like I said earlier, I do believe that it, it, it works as a model. 
um, because it's not all that dissimilar to what we've already seen with in-game cosmetics. Um, to go to piggyback <laughs> back to your point, Brianna, about like putting the player first and these modern DLC and cosmetics and stuff, I, I kind of see there's a a dual-edged sword there. And obviously the bulk of responsibility is on these publishers who are want to wring as much money as they can out of these games. But I think also as players, we've kind of accepted that it it feels shady to be charged additionally for more content. Right. Except in cases of like these season pass games. But so often I've seen, you know, there be a, a, a DLC or something announced and people go, why wasn't this in the base game? I played $60 for this game. Why wasn't this included? But we have right. kind of come to terms with the fact that if it's something that doesn't change the gameplay materially, if it's like a helmet or a cool costume or something like that, then you it you're if you spend money on it, it's just because you want that thing, not because you're yeah. being like denied some additional content. So that's no. why I kind of see this specifically NFTs taking the role of cosmetics here. Yeah, I do too. I just, I think my fundamental question is why use this method versus the existing method they have for pre-orders or for other things? Because yes. for, for, for for a long time, you know, it's existed where if you pre-order the game on the digital store, you could get this costume for this character. If you got it on Steam, you got this. And people do have created kind of a collectible market where people who are really diehards about stuff might buy it on multiple platforms, as stupid as that is. I'm sure that there are people for certain games who will do that. I, I just don't understand from a technological level, like why an NFT is better than anything else other than potentially the fact that you could potentially, you know, like transmit it. Um, and, but otherwise I'm just not really sure. Right. Yeah. Like we, we've already had this method. That being said, like, I kind of agree with you, Simone, like we, even though I agree with what you're saying, Brie, like this isn't going to be good things for gaming. We have accepted that there are these cosmetic and kind of nice to have and kind of collector items that exist in the digital space. They, they are what they are. And if that's the role that this takes, I can see that, you know, like I buy, you know, collectible sneakers sometimes, you know, a lot of people collect Funko, you know, um, uh, you know, pops like, like there are a lot of things that people get that are even supply constrained stupidly for, for no reason, <laughs> just so people can collect things. I'm not going to get down on people. <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to get down on people for wanting to collect some digital asset if it can actually be useful to them in the game. I just don't know why it needs to be an NFT and not backed by an existing database, except that Ubisoft obviously wants in on the NFT hype train. Like, that's the only cynical thing I can say. I, I think you're dead on about that. And, you know, I, I think that you know, my comments here are like, let's look at this from a 30,000 foot view. Mm -hmm. I also think you have to look at why blockchain and cryptocurrency and, you know, NFTs have specifically been embraced by so many people who, let's be honest, most of them are under 40. And I think it's because you have a financial system that is crumbling for an entire generation. There's not a clear path ahead. You know, go to college, do all this stuff, like do everything right. You are so far from assured to have like a married with children type uh, living standard, right? So I think that it's been embraced because at their core, a lot of like younger men especially are going like, yeah, I can get on that NFT T train if I buy these pants, you know, it's the first thing and one day I'll be able to sell this like it's a rare video game collectible. Mm. It's, it's going, it's, 
it's morally objectionable to me for two reasons. First is the the environmental argument that we've made many times on this show. But the other is you're holding out false hope to a generation and selling them something to monetize it, getting them to spend more money out of this false hope that they're actually investing in something that's worth going to be worth more. And I think it's just inherently predatory. Which is, it's just gross. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. Although, and, and I'm not at all predicting this, although this would be sort of funny. You know, people made the same comments about Pokemon cards 20 plus years ago. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. now look at where they are, right? Like Beanie Babies didn't mm. come back, but Pokemon cards have and then some. So there's, you know, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. And, and I'm certainly not predicting that in 20 years time, there will be a market for, you know, like NFTs from, from the 2020s or something, but there might be, I don't know. Like, so I I think you, you are onto something and it is maybe an inherent flaw in this first run of things from Ubisoft. I don't know, but all of these, like the gun, the pants, the helmet, it's gray, gray, gray. It is. It looks like the default outfit right. <laughs> from any any modern shooter game. Um, I I guess they're playing it safe, but I would say, like, given the the other interests of this crowd that's interested in investing in NFTs, like you look at um, what's his name, Beeple's art. It's wild and colorful and weird and hideous in my opinion uh the the apes they are like very highly customizable they're often Mm -hmm. wearing very colorful clothes i'm not saying like all nfts need to be colorful but it's something that honestly like if you showed me a lineup of characters and one of them was wearing these enhanced pants i would not be able to tell which one it's not exciting it's not an exciting design that i feel somebody would be like able to proudly flaunt and be like unique and yeah no which which is a huge part of this right it's like i have this i'm unique i am a person this is part of my personality here's how i'm presenting flex you you need to be able to flex and and so that is actually that that is a huge huge miss because that's i mean look that's what has made Fortnite so much freaking money right honestly you can be sasuke (laughs) exactly so so i think that that is um massively missed opportunity because you people have to be able to to, to flex and, and and front their stuff also like if you had an nft thing like you know if, if it gave you some sort of special kind of halo thing and whatnot i mean it does point out all the people who have like more money than sense but like maybe people are are want to embrace that i'm not going to judge that so yeah. I, I think you're right like that that's them actually ironically like leaving money on the table there yeah I just think every way this could actually help a consumer, uh, overwhelmingly, it's 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 not going. It's it's like a used game library. If I could truly like look at Mar. Oh, how this is a good example: Marvel versus Capcom Two. Uh, they're not currently selling it on PlayStation 3, right? Because of the licensing. I happen to have one of those versions of it, which makes my PlayStation 3 very valuable, right. having that there. Uh, you know, if there were a way for me to package and sell that to someone else, like that mm. is a valid reason for NFTs. They will never, no. ever, yeah. ever, ever implement anything like that. And this is why it, it that's exactly the point. It's silly for these large corporations who are already so heavily invested in centralized capitalism 
to get involved in something like this. Well, exactly. This. Well, I mean, look, as we've discussed before, I think most people, not all of them, I think some of them really, like you said, want to be truly DeFi and want to truly decentralize things. But most of these things, if you look at it, like the goal is to centralize stuff. I mean, it, it, um, uh, who was it who said like there are only two business models, bundling and unbundling? And that's <laughs> true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, those are our thoughts on that. Let me tell you, you better get a smile on your face because this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Do you ever type the same thing over and over and over again? Whether it's customer support answers, sales emails, or document edits, typing things repetitively or using copy and paste can be a burden. That is where Text Expander comes in. With Text Expander, you and your team can keep your message consistent, save time and be more productive, and be accurate every time. The way that we work is changing very rapidly, so you can make work happen wherever you are by saying more in less time and with less effort using Text Expander. Christina, can you tell me one thing that you like about Text Expander? Um, I love that I can invoke like scripts very quickly when I'm doing it. Like I have a regular expression that I need to run to do certain things. And rather than having to like know what I'm typing in, I can just run that, that, that uh, regex um, on, on a select group of files very easily by just typing in a couple of keywords. That's one nerdy thing, but also the fact that I um, actually, this was one that this, I've mentioned this before, but this actually came up during, um, Thanksgiving, I met my my cousin's um, daughters for the first time, and they were very happy to meet me because I play Animal Crossing, and so they wanted to be Switch friends, and so I needed to pull oh. out, like, get my Switch code and, and, and give it to their dad, and I just had to type in on the Text Expander app on iPhone, um, like, my, my three-letter thing to get my Switch code, and Yay. it immediately came out, so I was able, like, it didn't, I, I wasn't required to, like, you know, figure out like, okay, what is my code? I have like it stored in that way to make it easily accessible basically anywhere. That's incredibly smart because we've all complained a million times about how long that thing is. Yes. It's just unnecessary. Hey, as a listener of Rocket, you too can get 20% off your first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. That is textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. Hey All right. There was an interesting newsletter that went out this week from Politico <laughs> calling uh, Vice President Kamala Harris Bluetooth phobic. Uh, and numerous security experts like Swift on Security are pushing back on that. The newsletter says that Harris always uses wired headphones, which from photo evidence, it generally appears that she does, and quotes former aides on the matter who confirm that Harris loves her wired headphones, prefers texting to email for security reasons, and unthinkably, when she was the attorney general of California and someone arrived for a meeting and she wasn't in her office, they had to wait outside rather than being left unattended <laughs> in the attorney general's office. What? What? Blasphemy. Um, to quote the article, the vice president has long been careful about security and technology, with some describing it as prudent and others suggesting it's a bit paranoid. Uh, the Verge published a follow-up pointing out that if Harris has security concerns about Bluetooth, she is entirely correct. 
And ex-Biden CTO Dan Woods replied to Swift on security and others on Twitter saying, we took extensive measures during the campaign to secure mobile devices and mobile device traffic for VIPs, but none of it would have mattered if they and their staff didn't take this stuff seriously. And furthermore, that it's great to see Harris continue to take it seriously. Um, I pers- I would love to hear what you two think about the newsletter. I I got the impression towards the end of it that it was meant to be a little bit tongue in cheek, but I felt like most of it came off not great. It did not (laughs) sit well with me. How do you two think? I mean, yeah, I I think that it was meant to be a little bit sarcastic and kind of derisive. Like, I don't think it was meant to be taken completely seriously. I think it was partially tongue in cheek, but I also feel like whoever wrote it was kind of taking a dig that, and and look, I've, I've, I've made this mistake myself where I make kind of a, a, a sarcastic quip about something because I feel like someone's being silly and I don't actually think about it. Okay, well, you know what? There might be a valid reason for this. And then and then you kind of get burned and and wind up like what you thought was going to be like a little, you know, kind of like punching. A fun you know, puff piece. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun puff piece, like punching up on someone turns out to be, oh, you know, shoot, this actually had a, val- a, a, a valid reason behind it. Um, so I think that's probably what happened here. I will say, though, uh, A, I loved that. Uh, I loved Gawker's take, the new Gawker's take, which was that uh, she is youth culture because, <laughs> you know, the, this this Gen Z trend has been people wearing wired headphones for aesthetic reasons, which on the one hand, I totally appreciate the aesthetic thing behind it. I'm all about that. I could never do that purely for aesthetics because it's, they're just such a pain. Like, like AirPods are so much easier and wireless is so much easier. So I, I totally you know, I, personally I'm cannot truly, be a by the way, the acceleration of culture has officially become too fast. If wearing headphones that were ubiquitous merely five years ago or five years ago mm-hmm. is now a vintage look, I think. Yes. However, I yes, it is. It is. The, it is hot. It is. It is hot girl stuff. Oh, totally, totally. And like me, I love to like, I, I, I buy, you know, to be like the most like still with it, like street style person. And this is and where I you have to draw the line. <laughs> I do. I do. I have to draw the line. I'm like, shoot, my street style is actually really good. Um, I never get to leave my house, which is a shame, but I actually have really good street style and I can't do that. Like that goes too far. I do have the headphones when I'm like, dude, this is gonna be a pain. I'm, I'm going to have, I'm going to not I'm gonna get that. stuck in a car door. <laughs> oh, exactly. But I do think that like, uh, so, so I did kind of love that take, but I, I don't know. I feel like this was just something where they were trying to be funny and they wound up actually, I think opening up a good conversation about how insecure Bluetooth is, which is notorious. Everyone knows this. And also, and I'll end with this, and then I want Brita to take over since she has more experience with this sort of thing. <laughs> I'm just glad that we're talking about a politician in the White House taking security seriously. Whoa. I mean, yeah. genuinely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I guess maybe I have a more cynical uh, read of this. You know, I read his whole Twitter thread. I read enough of his Twitter to get kind of a sense of it. I looked through his work. And, you know, Politico has a, a kind of formula where they're like the Washington insider, you know, and they, they have this newsletter with the hottest scoops to give you this special insight that you're only going to get there. And, you know, that's kind of their beat. And I find it very superficial and frankly dumb, uh, but that's their beat. And, you know, this particular reporter, I think the way that they phrased it, like Bluetooth phobia, it it really came across to me as like, ha, let's just laugh at this woman that thinks like Bluetooth is is uh, a problem. Lol. 
And, you know, you have to put this into a wider context of how uh, women politicians are treated. I mean, just a few weeks ago, Kamala Harris was blasted for going on a trip to France and buying a $300 pot, which is <laughs> eminently Reese. I mean, it's a nice pot. If I went to France, I would also consider splurging on a very nice pot for my kitchen to remind me of that. So, you know, I think there's a I think there's a wider problem with a frankly silly and superficial way that we color we cover politicians that really really happens to women politicians. So that's that's side A of it. Side B of it is, you know, we've known about blue bagging for a really long time. You can eavesdrop on conversations, you can surreptitiously record it, you can insert your own voice into a, 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 a Bluetooth conversation just because the standard itself, uh, it's gotten better, but there are fundamental flaws with it the way it's implemented many times. Um, just to tell y'all a really quick story, there was a computer uh, in Donald Rumsfeld's office back during the Bush administration that was actually hacked by the Russians. Uh, Robert Mueller got hugely involved with this, and they had the FBI like literally shut down his office for three weeks afterwards, trying to find out the extent of how badly things had been compromised. This is something that high-level government officials should be taking very seriously. And I just think this culture of playing got you with a politician for doing exactly what is responsible in that moment is just absurd, as is this, uh, what were their words, like calling her, quote, paranoid, because she won't let people in her office by herself while she's AG? My God, that's the most common. Yeah. I wouldn't let anyone in my office like unescorted and and like I'm not the attorney general. I, I think, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that was an element of it. I think that could have been handled a little more responsibly because obviously they t yeah. they have these incredible sources who are these aides who have direct contact with Kamala Harris, and that's great mm -hmm. for getting a take on how she behaves. They don't necessarily have a, a technology or a security background. And I think that's the perspective that was missing from this. Like, even if it was going to be tongue in cheek, I think the Verges take disclosure. Obviously, my website is a partner of them. I think that's like the responsible take on it is an opportunity to educate people who might not know about yeah. the insecurities of Bluetooth. And yeah, to just rely on these almost kind of borderline snarky aid uh sort of uh, anecdotes to me felt a little it that's the part that felt off to me um especially yeah. as you pointed out brie the office anecdote because that's just absurd like if no stop it <laughs> that's the point where my brain like hits the wall and i can no longer go on um but yeah like it, it's a missed opportunity and i think it's a it's a, a lesson learned about how vital it is to have tech literacy in political reporting, because this is something that we've kind of dealt with ever since, you know, from Hillary's emails through oh, yeah. Trump's various cell phones and unfettered Twitter access, like up to now. And I, I do think that we need like balanced and factual tech literate political reporting, it's obviously incredibly useful. Um, so this kind of, this feels like a missed opportunity to me. And like you said, Christina, uh, a, a, 
a sort of tongue-in-cheek frivolous point that should have been taken more seriously in retrospect. Yeah, it, it it was a pithy, you know, kind of like I I know exactly what type of thing it was, and and it was look, I think that if the person had any knowledge about what they were writing, they wouldn't have written it. Ooh. And obviously, the blowback happened. Sorry, what's this? Sorry, I I, I am also now looking at uh, Alex Thomas and the writer's Twitter. You're right, Bree. My head is on fire. I will read yeah. this tweet to you. Um, also, we asked Harris's office for any background on the particular security risks she believes Bluetooth technology represents. Period. They did not respond. Right. And then they do respond later <laughs> saying, I'm sorry, we had important things to do yeah. that day. I, I, that I is loved. irresponsible to me, the phrasing of that mm-hmm. tweet. I'm sorry. I don't I don't yep. want to pick on this one guy, but it, it it really, really, really does read like Alex Thompson did not actually look into Bluetooth security himself before writing a tweet in that like vaguely snarky oh, no. way no no he totally didn't and and i i will i will say one thing only because uh, i think you're right we need more we're tech literacy and reporting it's not just political reporting i guarantee you that if um tech reporters if, if people like switch on security hadn't come in and immediately corrected the record on things we would not have seen the number of of rebuffed articles in response mm. it wouldn't have happened yeah and if, if anything we probably would have seen people there would have been a certain number of tech reporters who would have followed along with that and would have would have dug in the same way that we did like we saw this you know with the hearings where where people like start questioning certain stuff and it sounds dumb and and tech reporters you know are oftentimes the first ones to jump in and say it and i and i be the first to say because i worked with them for many years most tech reporters don't know anything about security and they don't know anything about bluetooth protocols or anything like that so I think in general, reporters need to have more of a sense of that. But but it is, it is I think, especially egregious if you have somebody who their whole role is to cover like Washington stuff. It's like, all right, this might be something that some staffers are, you know, like, like complaining think it's about. funny because they don't they know think better. It's funny, right, yeah. because the staffers don't know better. But it's like she probably has been advised by national security people. I guarantee you she's been advised by national security people to act the way that she's acted. And, and it's probably been the process she's had for a long time. And I mean, I, I think that it's the correct thing. It's also funny just to think about how much things have changed. When Obama wanted to have his BlackBerry into in, in the White House in 2009, when he you know took office, there were plenty of people who were writing about how ridiculous it was that he wanted a phone. And they completely made sure that that was completely secure. Like it wasn't an off-the-shelf BlackBerry. With, you know, he wound up getting mm-hmm. an iPhone later on that was also completely managed and was secure and, and, and you know, like met all the different FIPS, like protocols and whatnot. Trump literally was tweeting from like an old Android phone that who knows how out of date it was and whatnot. Like it was, you know, and, and no one bats an eye. So it, it, there's this weird like like pendulum. And now we're like, oh, there's something wrong with the with the, um, you know, um, uh, vice president because she doesn't want to wear AirPods. Like, it's just like, come on, guys. Yeah. It's like, especially considering like uh, the global political situation right now. I think it was Swift on security or no, it was somebody in his replies who was like, yeah, I wouldn't either if at least 10 countries wanted to spy on my right. phone well, calls. <laughs> well, also keep in mind, you know, um, the NSO group, the the, the alpha that Apple is suing, who has hacked, you know, um, a, a activists and, and reporters' phones in foreign countries and monitored them. It also came forward because Apple is no longer um, holding back, you know, names and whatnot that a number of um, uh, congressional uh, m- members of Congress 
their mm-hmm. iPhones were hacked too through iMessage. This is not an idle threat. Like this is this is not, you know what I mean? Like like yeah. the the NSO stuff is real and it is dangerous. And that is why it is great that Apple is is going after them so hard because and and make no mistake, Apple is doing it because it has immense reputational damage towards them. But I'm super glad that they're doing it. But but there are, as you said, like there's no shortage of of ways that people really will spy on the leaders of the free world. Bluetooth would be one of the easiest to do it. So yeah, yeah, l- l- let her like look totally hot and and <laughs> hot cool, and young. While, <laughs> hot and young, while also like protecting you know some of her phone calls potentially. Oh, yeah. All right, thank you for that. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by In Good Companies from Cadence Bank. Small and mid-sized businesses are how people turn their passions into their livelihood. But owning a business comes with a whole host of questions. How do I get started? What type of business loan is right for me? How do Federal Reserve policies affect my business? When should I create a succession plan? Uh, I'm not the expert on that, but judging, I'm an expert on succession, and I say immediately. Hey, <laughs> yes. But you shouldn't listen to me. You should listen to Cadence Bank on their podcast, In Good Companies. They put together their extensive knowledge to guide you through the life cycle of a business from start to sale. If you have a business or are thinking of starting one, this podcast will give you the strategies to help you navigate opportunities and the financial and managerial tools that you need to succeed. Uh, I talked about this a bit last week, but I listened uh, to an episode about like just everything about interest rates, which I have always kind of accepted as a mysterious force that just exists that I will not think about because it will scare me. (laughs) But obviously, if you are running a business, you should be aware of that. You need to face face the monster that is the Federal Reserve. Um, and I found it like a really like accessible and non-scary way to talk about that. Uh, they also cover the trials of starting a new business and what you can do to ensure you're positioned to succeed, like bulletproof business plans, funding options. Holy cow, I need to listen to that one. How do you fund something? And how to develop relationships with key stakeholders. I mean, honestly, that's that's fascinating to me as a person. Like, obviously, I work for a, a company right now, but w- I would love to in the next couple of years or so break more into television or film and probably uh, like I'm not going to get like picked up and put on a a movie right away. Funding an independent film is probably something I might be able to learn how to do from this podcast. And that is very interesting to me because researching funding options and business plans, that's part of that as well. Part of that creative process. Guests on the podcast include people like Alan Thomas, the managing director of SBA Banking at Cadence Bank. You can listen to brand new episodes of Cadence Bank's In Good Companies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go now and check it out. Search for In Good Companies wherever you get your podcasts. Our thanks to In Good Companies for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, we've got it. An excellent truly bulletproof rocket dessert for you this week. Apple. I love it when there's a dessert (laughs) and 
Oh, there's no discussion. No, no. I was, it's just so, like so, somebody pinged me about this, and then I immediately had to ping both of you, and I was like, "Yep, here it is. This is the story. Yep, th- 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 yep. this is no it." No discussion. Yep. Apple Studios is producing Adam McKay and Jennifer Lawrence's Bad Blood yes. movie. Oh, and that's our show. <laughs> because baby, now we got bad blood. I can't wait. You know they're going to use that song in the trailer, and I can't wait. Will no? They that's too on the nose, Christina. Please, I'm begging you. <laughs> Dude, they totally are, and it's totally great. Like, I think it, they might. I mean, look, it's also she's she hasn't re-recorded all the songs yet, so they could get her. She could do the re-recording, and then that way they could like license it directly from her, and she could get paid. See, then all my favorites would literally be in one story. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So Adam McKay is uh, directing, producing, and writing it. Jennifer Lawrence is, of course, starring as Elizabeth Holmes. She's perfect. It's delicious. She's perfect. I, that's so mm-hmm. funny because yes. that was who everyone thought about immediately. Oh, and it's being produced also in association with Legendary Pictures. Yep. They were the ones who optioned it a few years ago. And that was when um, McKay and, and Lawrence were first attached to it. But we hadn't heard anything. And now Apple is is coming on board to to you know be a co, uh, co-financier too. Love that. So this is I great. I can't wait to hear Jennifer Lawrence doing Elizabeth You guys, Holmes she's going to kill it. Oh my God! It's I, I, be so honestly, good. she she has made some bad choices in her career. So she has two Oscars, and she's thirty one. That's so, true. You're yeah. right. Yeah, it's just. I yeah. mean, same with freaking Passengers wasn't that bad. Okay, fair enough. Um, I'm excited, basically, for her to do something that, I, like you said, I think she's going to kill it in. Um, and I hope that Amy Adams takes a lesson from this. <gasps> Get it together, girl. <laughs> So can we talk about Adam McKay doing this? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, he's great. Know, the, so if uh, if you've seen the trailers for Don't Look Up, which just seems to be the most brutal, skewering comedy of the media in our current political situation you could possibly imagine, he's doing this, mm-hmm. which is great because we're going to have like... I, I know patients are in danger, but this story is funny. Well, and he's all, yeah, <laughs> like, he's done funny. the best Will Ferrell films. Uh-huh, absolutely. He, Nights, he did Anchorman. the big short. Yeah, um, yeah the big um, short, the yeah. Nights, which is the best one, uh, Anchorman. Um, I've never seen oh, that. Oh, it's so good. Uh, like, so I think Step Brothers is, is one of the best, but I think that the Talladega Nights is the best. That's my opinion. Simone? Okay. Uh, I have not seen Step Brothers. I'm sorry. Okay, okay, but, but, you do, but the ones you've seen, you you put like Talladega Nights up there. I guess I'm saying yeah. of like the Adam yeah. McKay. Like, uh, okay, there's also a really interesting profile of him in GQ uh, or, or Vanity Fair. One, no, it was Vanity Fair. Uh, he had an interview with him recently. He and Will Ferrell apparently had like a pretty messy breakup, which is sad. I read um, about that. Um, yeah. but because uh, they they were partners for like years and years. But he did The Big Short, which is obviously what he was then really known for. And then he did um, Veep with Amy Adams and um, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Christian Bale. Uh, yeah, that's frequent- just a solid resume of combining comedy with serious yes. topics. Also, also, he's an exec producer of Succession. So, yeah, I like, know. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm like, huge fan of, of, of him. But he... Um, this is the perfect team behind it. Like, I think even before she was announced, most people were like, yeah, uh, Jennifer Lawrence with her two Oscars, she might be able to win a third, depending on how she goes with it. With the voice, you guys, she's going to kill it with the voice. Oh, she's going to kill oh, I it. Can't wait. Yeah, she's going to kill it. It's going to be really good. I, I hope wait. they maybe even show her like going through elocution lessons, like uh, Eliza Doolittle, you know, to get oh, the voice down. 
You know, I always, I'll watch a million of those wired YouTube videos where they have the accent expert break down yeah. movie actors, uh, vocal choices. I would watch an hour long video about that. So some of the, uh, some of the, our listeners had suggested all of us watch it like with that Apple feature where you can watch uh-huh. something in oh real time God. and friends hang I out. I agree. I think we should do that. I, I'm, I'm in. How can we do it without like getting in trouble for streaming the movie though? We got to figure that out. I don't know. <laughs> well, we've I mean, got I a couple like, years. <laughs> yeah, we got a couple years to figure it out. Also, I would be totally down with us doing a sort of thing where we, you know, have everybody log into like we do it on Twitch or something. We could we could ourselves yeah. have it um, have it between ourselves, so we're we're all synced in. But then we log in on Twitch. And then we tell everybody, okay, you have to press play now. And yeah. and and then they listen to us doing kind of the commentary. Um, so we'll figure it like like someone says, we have some time to figure it out. I'm just happy that it's that it's happening. I am um, I'm a little bit disappointed that that Jennifer Lawrence hasn't been in the courtroom to watch her in action, um, showing off her baby bump, because that would be that would create a <laughs> media circus. I mean, it's already a media circus, the, but that I would was be say, well, this a is nightmare. what I was saying. I, I was like, this would take it from because like um the the reporters uh were, were writing this speak about how like basically the hottest ticket in Silicon Valley has been getting like, you know, a seat at the Elizabeth Holmes trial, like everybody's wanted to be there. Yeah. Like it's like literally reading Aaron Griffith's uh, coverage of the times and Kate Congers and, and like it's been I the only thing I miss about. Well, I miss a lot of things about reporting, but I think the only thing I like actively miss is that I would have been in San Francisco for this entire trial. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, this would have been one of those things where I would totally would have, uh. would have been there for the entire thing. And and uh, and it kills me that I couldn't take two months off of work to just go <laughs> watch the trial. Cause really appalling that no one would let you do that. <laughs> I mean, I guess I technically could have taken, you know, like, like a leave of absence. So that just feels like a dumb thing to do it for. Yeah. I think you is can, you can come up with something it better. It's like the fire festival. It is. It is. Yeah. I think, I think Girl, it's, it's no, you're only taking is. a leave of absence. If you're appearing in the bad blood film, playing yourself. Okay. Stop fair it. enough. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough, <laughs> which unfortunately will not happen. But uh, I mean, I, somebody texted Adam. Anyone got stuff? <laughs> I was going to say, although what this what this does excite me about is um, now, uh, like I'm I'm hoping that the between now and whenever it's coming out, that we can get on the on the like publicity like sides team and and score junkets because I will totally go back to doing the stupid junket thing. I will even do a roundtable interview, oh. which are the worst. I will even do a roundtable interview for this, Simone. To, you to know be able what? to ask people questions for this. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, okay. So there's right? our content plan for the next like four years. Um, hey, Christina, <laughs> what are you doing this week? So I am um, just uh, kind of uh, closing stuff up um, at work because the middle of next week, I think, is when I have to I have to look at my calendar is when I have to like where I have to do my court mandated um, uh, time off for the rest <laughs> of the year uh, or, or, or lose the days. I'm so sorry. So I'm just kind of. I'm just kind of closing stuff up on but work. Oh, also, I'll, I'll talk about this more in depth on another time, but uh, Beeper.com, which is a service we've mentioned in the past, which is uh, from um, uh, Eric um, uh, Misovic, who is uh, the guy who created Pebble. The idea behind it is that it's basically like a, an omni messenger. So it has all of your messaging apps in one interface on desktop, mobile or whatever. Um I finally got, I, I hadn't used it. I paid for it a while ago. I hadn't really used it. I was waiting for the iMessage support to come. iMessage support is now working, which means that I can now send and receive iMessages on a Windows computer. Oh my God, that's the is, dream. Which is genuinely 
just fantastic. So oh. talk more about that in the future. But that's what I'm doing this week. I'm very, very excited about the fact that I can have all my messages pinging me from all my different devices nice. in one interface. <laughs> um, it's oh it's the God. 90s. It's the 90s all over again. Oh, Brianna, what about you? That. What are you up to? So just getting real with you guys, uh, you know, I had surgery two and a half weeks ago. It's been a really tough recovery. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm so sorry. It's, it's, it's been terrible. I'm still sleeping like 13, 14 hours a day and just trying to get work done. It's, it's been brutal. Um, you know, I'm, I turned a corner and I'm able to get some working out done now, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really taking me for a loop. And I'm like, yeah, this is what makes COVID so hard because you're like, am I just feeling down because I've been stuck in the house or, no. you know, all of that together. So I'm trying to catch up at work, but I just, I don't have my energy back yet. So it sucks. That Urgh. sucks. It's very, I mean, this the whole, these whole last two years have been kind of a lesson in how much it sucks to not feel up to working when you genuinely want yes. to work. And having it yes. be a physical problem does not <laughs> like make it any easier to be like, I guess I just need to rest. It's very frustrating. hundred mm-hmm. you know? percent. Um, I am actually doing something exciting this week. We at Polygon are restreaming the game awards, but we're doing it different. We're doing the the game awards awards over on our Twitch channel. So if you would like to partake of uh, a little bit of lighthearted video game fun without watching our industry's strange answer to the Oscars, hmm. um, <laughs> which is reportedly going to be 50% trailers this year. Um, please come join us at twitch.tv slash polygon. We are going to be hanging out and having a very good time. That sounds more appealing to me. Thank you. Just, just being honest. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, same. Like I, I, I am very um, I think this is a very smart move that that uh, that you guys are doing because uh, I've we've in the past have been part of those kind of a rebroadcasting things and they're they're a thing. And I think this is a really smart way of doing it. That'll also add some kind of humor and levity and uh, added value. Thank you all. Well, Christina, where can we find you online? Okay, so if you're listening to this on Thursday, it's probably still a dumpster fire, but you can find me at Full Motorcycle <laughs> on Twitter. Um, I, I made some some people angry earlier this week. I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but that's where you can find me on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me at film underscore girl on Instagram. And um, yeah, so that that's me. Oh, and you can find the videos I do for work at Microsoft Developer on YouTube. I'm not sure if I'm going to be recording one this week or not. Might be doing my last end of year one next week. I think there might be a scheduling conflict, but just, uh, just throwing that out there though. Um, in general, the download with Christina Warren is a show and it's now out weekly anyway Always. on youtube uh, just look for microsoft developer and brianna what about you you can see me on brianna Wu on twitter and you can find me on twitter at doom quasar my stream at twitch.tv slash polygon and that's pretty much all you need to know this week hey if you liked this episode please leave a review on apple podcasts or wherever your podcast reviews go even if you just write it down on a little note to yourself and bury it in the backyard Someone will find it when they need it. And I appreciate you. You know who you are. (laughs) This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.